0: I'm Cast, I'm your host Jacob Berlaga.
1: and I'm his co-host Aaron Berlaga.
0: It has been a second since we have been able to record a podcast. We had a lot of trying health issues happen this year, yeah. So we sort of took a five to six month sabbatical, but we are back, <laughs> and we are grateful to God that Aaron is healthy and all good, and yeah. um, we're excited to do a quick little episode today.
1: Yeah, we we started this podcast off with going hard on political issues. But if you guys remember, in our introduction, in our introductory episode, we talked about our wish to talk about all things historical, um, philosophical, theological, theological, and worldview issues. And so today, we actually have a very special guest with us. Yes.
0: Uh, Today, we have John Berlaga with us, and he is my brother. He just did his MA at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he did his thesis on Jonathan Edwards. And the ministry of revival in his life. And John wrote extensively on that. And today we are going to be talking to John real quick and just learn something about Edwards, uh, learn about his thoughts and learn about some things that we can apply today as Christians. Uh, so John, what's up, man? It's good to hear from you, brother.
2: It's good to be here, guys.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So um, first, John, is there anything you can just say specifically about the life of Jonathan Edwards in regards to his, uh, upbringing.
2: Um, I guess I'll start with, um, just a short snapshot of his life. So he was, he was born in 1703, uh, under a very, uh, Puritan household. Um, and so the name, a lot of American Puritans like the name of Cotton Mather <laughs> and Increase Mather, sure. and Timothy, his, uh, Timothy Edwards, his father. So they grew up in that Puritan, uh, colonial american uh, society. Sure. And so Edwards was actually uh one of 10 children and the only son. Okay. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: And so he uh he was raised so he was raised raised under his father's in his father's house. So his his dad was a pastor but he you can also kind of call him like a modern day homeschooler. All right, all right. He uh, he would bring a lot of the children that were in his parish at that time period okay. home, and he would teach them um, just your colonial, classical colonial education. So Latin, theology, history, um, all the classic literatures. Wow! Really work on his logic and his rhetoric and his ability to critically think. And so okay. Edwards actually excelled greatly in that environment, um, under that environment. And you know, by the time he was eleven, actually, he wrote um, he wrote a treatise. On the nature of spy- of spiders and how they can fly through the air, wow. Um, wow. By, by their webbing. Um, it's called <laughs> ball- ballooning behavior, um, which is Balloon-y? like ballooning, ballooning like a balloon, like
1: oh my goodness,
2: Earth behavior of spiders. And, right. <laughs> uh, so he was 11 when he wrote this. Um, some guys, you know, some people who see this actually at 11 and actually competed with this uh, the scholar of the scholarship of his day on like. <laughs> I don't know the of spiders Arach-
1: <laughs> arachnophobic
2: arachnophobic yeah uh,
0: whatever yeah
2: yeah something along those lines so it actually competed very well um so he always had Edwards, you know growing up and he had a very distinct uh love for just nature and he saw mm-hmm. because he saw his god's creation so he always sure, loved, yeah. he loved studying it um and then eventually when he was uh 13 he he entered uh yale and okay. worked, and uh, then eventually at thirteen, and he graduated at nineteen at, with a bachelor's and a master's degree. He so uh, you know once it just further college education. Uh, then his master's was also more towards ministry and theology okay. and pastoral. So
1: was that uh, like a conventional thing for his time period to start normal? at Yale that early? Yeah, was it wasn't normal to
2: finish? go to college that early. Yeah, was yeah, that, that was during the colonial America. Children, you were children really enrolled their uh my parents enrolled their children in the college around 12 to 14
1: oh my Uh, goodness
2: yeah however it was more of like a it was like kind of a wealthy like you've had to have some money Mm. if you want also um you know nowadays really like scholarships and you know financial aid are great so like if anybody can go to college if they want it was more towards the middle to upper class
0: the aristocracy right. yeah
2: yeah during um during that own time period yeah but it was during that part you know that section of <clears throat> that was it was the norm
0: sure so um you mentioned that in 1716 he entered yale at uh he, he finished yale or he entered uh, i think yeah he finished at uh 1716 um in 1722 he took a pastor in new york what, what was that like exactly
2: so, yeah, he uh, that was the um, best way I can probably say it is, you know, his practice um, of preaching and ministry. Yeah. Um, and that's and, you know, he went over to New York and they were just looking for an interim pastor at that time period. And Edwards filled that slot. And that's where he really kind of fell in love with uh, preaching and teaching people the scriptures and that was a lot of time period where he can, you know, all that he, he was at this point, a lot of his study habits um, were already in full gear. And so now he's he's transitioning to not just from studying the scriptures, but producing good sermons and content for the people of God.
0: Okay. Um, so
2: that was like a trial period for him in New York. He was only there for eight months. And then after and uh, but then they eventually and he was only maybe early 20s when he took that. And, and then afterwards, uh, when he left, he took a uh, independent study at his home. Okay, okay. So he went back home to live with the fam. Um, and then eventually, then took a tutorship at Yale. And a tutorship... Uh, it was kind of like a professor, like, you know, in like college in academics, you have like, a, you have part time, you have like, you I know, adjuncts, professors yeah. and mm-hmm. have, you know, assistant then associate then full professors. Sure. It right. was like the bottom adjunct, you know, oh, wow. associate pastor. So that's professorship. That's he took that at Yale. Okay. Uh, so he did that for two to three years. Okay. Uh, and then when that was over. You know, he ended up wanting to go into ministry again. So his grandfather, which was his mother's dad, his name was Solomon Stoddard. This was uh, he hired him as um, as like an assistant pastor. Okay. And so his role, so at, his role was like a uh, uh, like a pastor scholar, like a research pastor scholar kind okay. of. Okay. Right? so Edwards could continue his you know deep methodical <laughs> systematic study of the scriptures. Um, while also, you know, transitioning to preach it, public preaching and teaching, and then sacraments, visitations, and whatnot, and he did that for two years, and so it was cool. So he studied. I right, you know, worked right under his grandfather. His grandfather was like a big name too, and that's and like a like a celebrity in that town. Everybody oh,
0: knew Solomon Stoddard was his grandfather. You yeah, he,
2: and Solomon Stoddard. Yeah, he was he was a pastor there for fifty five years. St. Paul wow. so. And this is in Northampton, Connecticut, right? Yeah, Northampton, Connecticut. And that's where his big ministry would end up being. So he came in working under his grandfather.
0: Gotcha. So just to backtrack a little bit, I should have brought this up. Um, Can you share anything about his salvation story of coming to Christ?
2: A lot of people go back and forth about when he was saved. Hmm. Um, Most like the big popular understanding about his salvation is uh, when he was in college And a lot. And so everybody says that, you know, he can't, he always hated God's sovereignty uh, and like how God's providence, but just, and that's, and, and, you know, just studying that and reading the scriptures that he ended up coming to love it. And then afterwards, really wanted to study. And that's where you get the famous uh, resolutions that he wrote about all the things he wants, he seeks to do with his life and his discipline. Um, What
1: age was he when he wrote that?
2: The resolutions, he was 19.
0: Oh my goodness yeah i love yeah. resolution one it says uh, i will live for god and resolution two is if no one else does i still will yeah that's really powerful yeah so, so
1: we're assuming that by that point he was already a believer sure
2: himself. yeah so around 16 i think 16 is when people give the day i i myself <laughs> always differ on that because it's how do you how do you tell <laughs> how do you look back 200 years in history <laughs> and say when somebody came to christ uh i know right so I mean, but you know he he actually when he was 11 when he was 11 or 12 he wrote a letter actually to his sis, his older sister about a revival that took place and he just okay. like, so at 11 years old he was like saying god was so pleased to come down and dwell with us and father has you know walked so many people to christ um mm-hmm. been like a great increase like 30 people have come to christ in the past two months Okay. Um, so he wrote that at 11 and I always, you know, and saying that he didn't come to Christ until he was 16, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the facts don't line up so much. If anything, he probably just came into Calvinism at 16. <laughs> so okay. and that's okay. the way I see it. But yeah, it's, and it's really tough to tell, um, when he came to Christ, but those, uh, but the facts that, you know, the facts that we have about that, um, line up to, you know, this dude, he, he, he was, he was, raised in the Christian home. So most likely an early age, maybe eight, I maybe he was also baptized as a as an infant. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's probably that's uh to really pinpoint his salvation. It's impossible.
0: Yeah, I can understand that for sure. Um so people definitely associate his name with the Great Awakening. Is there anything you can share about that? Uh, I guess what was that like for him to be or or did he become a traveling preacher at once? Uh, I know he was a, a man of intense study, but what was his role in the Great Awakening?
2: So people, most scholars will say he was the leader of the Great Awakening, and what really what that means is he was just one. Of, he was just a guy that was very prominent for its increase. Um, he didn't like initiate it or anything, Edward. Sure. So edward's understanding of the great it's, it happened in seven from 1740 to 1742 okay and all of a sudden so many people just started talking about jesus christ it okay you went it was you know that his doctrine his his the jesus is teaching his salvation um and at the same time people would start um Having convulsions and start like having seizure, like so. A lot of the stuff that you see in like the charismatic movement where people just start shaking and whatnot and falling on the floor. Um, Edwards witnessed that firsthand. Um, and he and so, and he and people would actually come to Christ eventually from it. And he would preach sermons and people would cry out, like, what they did in Acts, oh, what should I do to be saved? Um, So that was kind of the stuff that was going on in 1740. And Edwards actually was very familiar with that because there was a local revival um, where like revival, just meaning a lot of people came to Christ in a short period of time. In 1734 to 1735, he writes about that in uh, in, in a book called just uh, a a surprising work, a narrative of a surprising work of God. And so Hmm. he walks us through this revival And so he was very familiar with God's power and changing people's hearts, even to the point of physically uh, impacting them. And so he had that understanding and then it happened again, but this the great awakening that happened at a much broader scale. So local Mm -hmm. pastors are, so when I was talking about convulsions and people coming to Christ, that was happening all over new England. And so there, you know, pastors are writing letters to each other in Boston and, in Newark, New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania um, and then past and So of all the stuff that was happening um, and then people started writing histories. There's this one guy, his name's Thomas Prince, I think. Uh, he wrote a whole history in the great awakening completely out of print. Um, okay. But I would have to look into those archives what the exact name was, but like a history, like it was published in 1742. Wow. And so that, and I don't think it got reprinted.
1: <laughs> so um, it was actually kind of like uh, happening everything was happening as he was writing it so he was a contemporary historian basically
2: yes yeah so he was wow. yeah he was or um a documentary like telling the yeah story. so yeah he was documenting everything that was happening um it wasn't edwards himself it was this other guy I forget thomas, it's thomas prince the last name's prince something along those lines okay Um yeah, so that's in Edwards, Edward people say Edwards is the leader because he promoted that so much. Mm. But during that time, he also had so much off he had a great amount of opposition too, because you know, people would see these convulsions and these crying out and people would prophesy too. Um, but and say that this is not a work of God this is actually like a work of the devil it's fleshly it's enthusiastic it's fanaticism sure and Edwards defended that and you know there was some crazy people actually that arose there was this one guy his name was um, his last name was Dav- I think Andrew Davenport his last name is Davenport and so what he would do he would go to different churches and then he would sell either church, how this pastor was not actually a Christian because he was not promoting the revival to the to the degree that Davenport expected it. Oh wow! And yeah. he was, and he ended up taking all the books of like John Owen, Edwards, uh, some other guys that were prominent guys during that time period, and pastors, and John Flavel, and he burned them, and he praised God for
1: them. what? Oh, yeah. My- so
2: you had that crazy stuff happening, and then yeah. and and uh so, so you're
1: saying there were there was like a string of fanaticism within the movement Yes. but overall jonathan edwards would attest to the sincerity of the people being changed by god
2: yeah he had he couldn't get denied because people would actually come to faith from it and they would stay in the faith sure um yeah and so that and then there was a lot of there's this guy named charles chauncey he was like a big um Uh, antagonist against the Great Awakening and so Edwards and Chauncey kind of went back and forth about arguing about whether or not this is a work god or this isn't a work god. Yeah, sure, And,
0: and, and I think that you see clearly between the First Great Awakening that happened between the 1830s and 1850s and then the second Great Awakening that happened between the 1790s. No, 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 no. The and... first one
1: happened in the 17th.
0: Oh, yeah. That's what I, that's what I said. Yeah, you know, The second one backwards. in the beginning oh, of <laughs> So, yeah, the first Great Awakening that happened in the 1740s. Uh, and then the second one that happened in the late 1790s um, up until the early 1830s. You definitely see a stream of fan- fanaticism, I guess, especially with Charles Finney. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that perhaps some of the seeds of that did happen in Edward's day but also was a different time and we're also coming and looking at this from you know 200 plus years later where you know where you live in more of a modern age where you know strange things may things that would happen today maybe like you know if someone talked about convulsions that would that would appear very strange to us but perhaps that was different you know three hundred years ago I'm not quite sure.
2: Yeah Edwards I don't want to jump the gun too much but Edwards is quoted a lot from Pentecostals and from cessation I'll just say cessationists and saying to cover the people who disagree with that stuff. Right. Um but Edwards is quoted from both sides because Edwards made a science out of that like how to dis- hmm. how to figure it out. Um his writings he wrote a he wrote a book on, you know, some something. Uh, uh, he wrote a book on the great awakening and then he wrote religious affections. He also wrote a book called Marks of Distinguishing a Work of God's Spirit in the Heart, hmm. and so those were very prominent. And about and he would list out different ways and how to discern between a godly work and a fleshly work. Wow, um, however. Edwards, the you know, as the years went on, he's you know, he's slowly becoming he he grew a cautiousness.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: Um. So like in 1735, when that when the first revival happened and the convulsions were occurring, you know, he was open to anything. Um. You mm-hmm. know, a degree of cautious, but by the 1740s and then by 46 or something in that 10 year, uh, you can a lot of scholars have picked up a trend in which Edwards supported all the work of god but he had a growing cautiousness towards right. fanaticism.
1: did that kind of lend itself his cautiousness did it kind of lend itself to his decision that it was biblical to have closed communion
2: i have not heard too much about linkings between okay. communions and the revivals um, okay. I- i'm sure it could because He ended up getting fired from his church because of close communion at the end of the in 1750. So not long after the awakening. it could
0: So you mentioned how scholarship had recognized the different chain in his thought and I guess more of hesitancy towards that sort of uh, fanaticism. And then you said in 1750, uh, Edwards was fired due to the Lord's Supper's teaching. Was this when he was still in uh, Connecticut? And then yeah, he, so
2: at Northampton, so the same church that his uh, that he took over from his grandfather. Uh, okay, I guess so. He was close communion, and he was trying to support that, and the ch- and the congregation that was that was like the point of tension, and the congregation, you know, really actually like fired him. I think only twenty one people, twenty to fifty people out of like six hundred actually voted him to stay. Oh, wow. Okay. But I will yeah. say, actually, is that Solomon started his grandfather, towards the end of his uh, pastorate, actually opened communion to even unbelievers. Oh, my. So, mm. anybody, so, and he argued, you know, it's the grace that God gives us, so let's make it a grace to give to the unbelievers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, so that was like, and so, and so Edwards took that over and he made that change, and the congregation didn't like it right they had already been started. so used to the other way i guess yeah so there's a much bigger story then than just you know a congregation that doesn't believe the bible sure. had, right. so yeah a- so
0: real quick before we get into um maybe some more of his thought what was his time like at how did he get to princeton what was his time like there
2: uh so he and after after he got fired in northampton he took another pastorate in stockbridge and i think that's in connecticut or massachusetts i can't remember and he did that for four to five years and he was a missionary actually to indians okay and he also he worked and that's and he did some more writings that's when he wrote like uh you know god's end for the creation of the world mm-hmm. that, that dissertation and he so he did much more writings and he preached through an interpreter at stockbridge and then he uh but princeton at that time period was looking for a new president because the president actually just died <laughs>
0: Oh, okay.
2: wow! So Edwards was just so famous during this time period. And then his, his works were so widely read and Princeton was very big on revival theology and the working of God's power to really bring like great conversions and even convulsions. Um, and they thought Edwards was the best. So that's, and so they gave, they offered the job to Edwards and Edwards ended up taking it, but he was only there for a month and a half and that's when he died.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, so his,
2: and when he was at Princeton, he, he ended, and so he's out of the ministry and more at this time, he's probably, I think, 50, in his low 50s or early, fi- mid-50s. Okay. And so. And he when, died
1: from the smallpox vaccination, correct? Yeah,
2: and not, yeah, smallpox vaccination, you know, did him in. Okay. And,
1: so yeah. you mentioned his time in Stockbridge. Is that when he came into contact with David Brainerd's ministry to the Indians as well?
2: Uh, no, he. No. He came into contact with Branyard in 17 at the end of 1740, So towards the end of his ministry in Northampton. Oh, so uh, he
1: knew him before.
2: Yeah, so Branyard died in 46 or 47.
1: Oh wow. Okay. Yeah,
2: so and that's when um and so that yeah, so he and he was a big prom he was a big fan of Branyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's when he uh and I, I, you can probably argue that you know, be reading brand your sent him into the wilderness to you preach Indians. Right, yeah, right? Brandier it's is... almost
1: like he took over his his um, ministry since he had died, you know really early.
2: Yeah. And let me just double check that date by the way.
1: Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, we were talking about the spiritual components of the Great Awakening, but there was also, I think unmistakably, a historical component to the unification of America through the Great Awakening. Would you speak to that a little bit? Would you be able um, to do that?
2: Sorry, Aaron, I was just double checking the date on the 1746 of Brainyard. Okay,
1: it's okay. Say
2: that question again.
1: Okay, so there is, um, we talked about the spiritual components of the Great Awakening, but there's also kind of unmistakably this unification of. Uh, what it is to be an American that also kind of cropped up in the same time period. And some would argue through the Great Awakening, through the unification people were having in Protestantism through the Great Awakening. So would you have any thoughts on that as to what degree it influenced American unification? Oh,
2: um, how did that? Im- That's a good question. yeah uh the only problem is i don't know how much my knowledge is on that and i would say you know because at that time britain was still in control of america during that time period yeah uh so you know when people are oppressed or i don't want to say they're oppressed but under any kind of bondage sure right there's a sense in which you know those who are on their bondage really kind of come together yeah that makes a lot of sense um and you know try to fight and and also edwards's relations with princeton was huge princeton also was a is a one of the the great was you know the school and and uh in the colonial america during that time Mm -hmm. and they you know they grad like a lot of grads from princeton went on to become you know great you know lawmakers in the united states um, right. Even a pre- i think a president, presidents in the United States, congressmen, senators, mm-hmm. really big lawmakers. Yeah. And, and so Princeton and, and Princeton being, you know, born out of the Great Awakening, hmm. and that, but that's uh, that's like a whole Princeton story. So Princeton and right. uh, turn that, would, you know, and Edwards had ties to it, so you can probably go there. Uh, but and also in unifying the country, it's this if anything has happened in America, it has always been. Uh, to unify people it has always been the gospel actually mm, yeah and, i,
1: I could not agree with that more yeah
2: and i agree i mean
0: even since the the first puritan to come on american soil in the late 1630s was uh john winthrop and he since he's been here there's been massive revival it's always been a religious land mm-hmm. and you know it always has had the seeds of judeo-christian values and that has always been the, the, the main consciousness of thought here in America.
2: Yeah, you can. And because the Constitution and, you know, the First Amendment, you know, separation of religion, uh, of religion and state and church, church and state, that's the word. That was, you know, that was written because basically saying, like, if you're a different religion than Christian, we're not going to kick you out of the country. Right. <laughs> because right. that's freedom what freedom of said. conscience
1: that only Christians can afford to other religious people because yes. our beliefs are grounded in the fact that it's a heart change. It's not something you can do on the outside that changes you. Sure. Yeah.
2: So they weren't, and they're not gonna persecute you either for you know, if you want to be, you know, Muslim, you can in America. Like, in right. city, like because you have that choice. Like they don't like the governments aren't like a lot of them, they were all Christian like and so. You know, they were Christian in the sense of like a heritage, a culture. Right. Not, right. Sure. So, in, and because of where they came from and the persecution that Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic uh, Europe really did. Yeah. And uh, Anglican England. Yeah. But, and, you know, continue on a the theme about, you know, Americans being united in the gospel. Uh, that revival is really, you know, penetrated, you know, during the centuries because you had the second great awakening um, mm-hmm. that took place. And then you also have some crazy events. Uh I will say this, there was a revival in New York City in 1858 by a prayer meeting where 30,000 people came together to pray during their lunch break in New York. Wow. Um and then a few and 100,000 people got saved in like a 2-year period. Mm. Very popular. I will even I don't know if you know this Aaron since but in I think in the 18 late 1880s there is a a bill passed through the Congress to be um, to be written down in the Constitution saying that we the people of the United States of America acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the nation.
1: I have never heard that before. Yeah, wow. that, that, that
2: actually that sadly that wasn't written in the Constitution but it got passed. <laughs> it, it was almost there.
1: It got passed? Um, That's no, insane. It, it wasn't
2: written in the Constitution but it was right. like it was it was literally up for debate like that. Wow. Yeah. Me, yeah. Penetrated so deeply that we How? yeah
1: how different you know our country was in terms of the makeup of christian beliefs back then like i feel like right now if that happens not only would it be laughed out of the center of of congress but it wouldn't even i mean people would call it bigoted and you know like oh this is this is oppressive you can't put that in in your constitution yeah
0: so um yeah that's all great to hear so i guess just real quick back to edwards so we don't lose our train of thought um what was some of his expertise of his thought life, I guess. And then if that, if that, if that makes sense,
2: like his discipline.
0: Maybe? Yeah. I guess it is discipline, his main area of study.
2: Uh, I will. Uh, well, he was a, you know, he was a student of the scriptures ultimately. Uh, but like, you know, everybody has study habits, no matter what you're studying. Uh, so he actually loved his alone time <laughs> and <laughs> it, it encouraged him to focus, to critically think. And to reflect on whatever subject, and you know he had he had I think he had like t- uh, ten kids too. Oh wow! And so you know when you're you know you're running around Aaron, you you grew up in a lot of big family. You don't have yeah. Alone time is very precious because it really helps you focus. <laughs> uh, so Edwards really made that a habit. Um, so to the and he be and because that focus and the ability to critically think through everything um, that came to his mind. And that's what he would do. And he was so avid about this. He would even like figure out what types of food and what types of drink he were to eat and how much of that to consume, which made his mind sharper. Wow! Um, So, you know, he avoided food comas. (laughs) Um, He and he even took mental notes uh, about like what times during the day his thinking was most proficient. And mm. so he, he he's like you know what from four in the morning if I get up at four in the morning that's when I'm, my mind's most clear I'm ready to go so that's that's, that's when he studied he would wake up wow. at four in the morning um, you know he was also very introspective you know he would uh, he would and play through different events and choices that he made to the day um, and figure out was there sin there was there grace there what was the reason for his sin were the reasons oh. for sin was this just passion yeah uh, he would and so that's so he was that's kind of what can cons- like how he you know his he's sanctified himself if you want to say
0: yeah
2: um you know i'm i kind of joke i'm like you know when people say if there's anybody you, you know if there's anybody in history you would have a cup of coffee with who would it be i'm not saying edwards because edwards want to know how to talk to me okay <laughs> i i joke about that he's such an introspective guy like he mm. that's and i and so i don't know how much of a yeah guy who...
0: um when i think of edwards i i think so many things but i guess one thing that i do think about is how how, how colossal his his mind and his intellect is um can you speak on anything relating to like his work of um i think it's called the freedom of the will
2: so i've never read the freedom of the Will. well um i I've, I've never touched upon it actually so I, <laughs> um but i you know his and so I'm not going to be too much helpful from there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will say, you know, I guess to continue on what he studied is, you know, he actually took various, um, he had a, he had a note, he had notebooks and what he would, and he also grew up working and put in binary work. So okay. he would find loose leaf paper and then that he, and paper was hard to come by, you know? Oh Yeah during that time period. So everything was valuable. You know, he, he would take receipts that, you know, from like buying like groceries and then write a sermon on the back of the receipt. That's what? How, uh-huh. Yeah. So that's how much he valued paper. And then from everything he gathered, he would bind together in a notebook and and then he would that would be like his um you know that would be his study work. Uh so he kept a book called The Catalog. Mm-hmm. And this was simply just a a list of books he wanted to read and that he thought would be, would be as beneficial to his learning. And then it would also trace where he left off in his learning. Um, So if he's studying, you know, this one book, this is, he'll write down, okay, this is everything I learned from this one book. And this is Mm -hmm. where I left off and this is what I need to get from this book. Wow. Yeah. And, but he was also very particular. He would write down, you know, what books he wanted to get. And, but he would also say the best books. So he, he wasn't dealing with crap. He wanted the absolute best because that's what he thought would be most beneficial, which is right. And
1: so he was was he kind of a perfectionist of sorts,
2: intellectual. He was an intellectual perfectionist. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a great way of describing that habit.
0: Yeah. I recently read a work on American history and the author, secular author. He even actually commented that Edwards was probably the most intelligent man ever in the history of North America
2: you can call it because just the way he thought so introspectively about it, he, yeah he ha- yeah he would but i would say the most fascinating way he studied and you know i think studying how Edward study is is it helps you think like him because mm. that because you know you want to be like that in your own work you want to be a deep thinker you want to be um be, and you, because it helps us be humble helps us understand things and so with edwards is the most fascinating thing is that when he would study somebody you know he would he would hear an argument but he wouldn't you know get on board to just you know just something that may if an argument like kind of please his mind a little bit wow this is so great um, right. he wouldn't go with it so you know you have like catchy phrases that that get requoted like you know if you hear uh, John Owen's quotation you know be killing sin or sin be killing you yes. yes you know that's like a that's like a cliche and so and then we love it we love it so much and we just think it's true before we actually look into it now it's great Um, yeah. but it's it's and not it's true college because you haven't thoroughly and you haven't thoroughly looked into it yourself mm. so Edwards yeah so Edwards so he would
1: take like a peppy little phrase like that and like actually. Do like graduate level research on it. Is
2: that what yeah. you're saying? He would, yeah, that's how he researched and he would think over it. And so, like for instance, if he read something, he wouldn't just go along with it just because it's like you know that's how the wind's going. He's gonna do his own work. He's he's gonna ask himself his own questions, uh, and because of how and he wanted that argument to become his. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And that and and then he would he would even start writing his own thinking about it. And to help like, so while reading and intaking, he'll write down his own thoughts and then he'll go and make an argument for the thing he just heard, but from his own memory. Oh my goodness. And so, and and because in the way he did that, he wanted to know everything about truth and Mm -hmm. every, and so if somebody argued truth, he didn't just buy it just because, you know, it catches his mind.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. And so even, and even things that he agreed with, he refused to, you know, buy into that. You know, I'm just blown by the wind. Yes, this is true. No, I'm going to inspect this, even if I think it's already true.
1: He would be an interesting conversationalist. I feel like, you, like you're like you saying, like you were saying earlier, you wouldn't get very far with him because you would say like one or two things and he'd be like, I got to think about that for a long time. Yeah, you yeah.
2: you know, you would you would get a lie if you asked him for a lecture, but like, yo, bro, how was your day doing? What did you think about doing today? No, he, he's dumb. <laughs> yeah.
0: I guess he's one thing we can remember from him then. And I guess that he left an example for us. I mean, so many things, but how he really took advantage of the time he had, mm. you know, that seems just remarkable. And that's something I think we should all try to. Inform- yeah,
2: he, yeah. He even wrote about how precious it, it was. Mm. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, I, yeah. I just recently listened to something where the, uh, the writer was talking about how time is, is God's time. So it's, a time that exists is not really our time. It's God's time. So we mm. should steward the time that God has given us. Yeah. And that was something like that was clearly manifested in the life of Edwards.
2: Yeah. Edwards, you know, because when we study, we're very prone to just reading and reading and reading and reading. Um, mm. Edwards was more of, he would read a paragraph and then, you know, probably write a paragraph about that paragraph. <laughs> wow oh, wow. Yeah. That's, you know, that's just really, um, you know, speculating just from, you know, the facts I'm giving, but that's the way he studied. And I think that's helpful because, you know, you're, when you're reading, you're intaking information, 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 but it has to be processed through your mind. Like God's given us faculties to think over such whatever hits you and the, you know, test them, you know, true. And then if it's true, how do you apply it to your own life? How do you apply it to your thinking? and that's what Edwards did. And that's what, you know, he was studying 10 to 13 hours a day and that's what he would do. Um right. so that, you know, that kind of habit, that's why he was, you know, when you read him, that's why he's so intelligent.
1: Mm. Um
2: in mm-hmm. what also and he didn't just do that with the scriptures. He's one he was a big fan of actually John Locke. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I so one of the most influential books that he would comment on was his essay concerning human understanding. Yeah. And also, Isaac Newton's scientific discoveries. He was very what? avid readers. He uh, he even took a notebook on the mind, which really covered natural science. He studied atomic theory, uh, the nature wow. of light and optics, electricity, astronomy, um, oh philosophy, and psychology. So the he was well-read on all mm-hmm. the... You know, this is Enlightenment time. Right. Yeah. And so he read it, but he was so Christian with it, because he... Mm. he and. Because he knew it was God's world that he was studying. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if anything, you know, res- if you wrestle with, you know, and that kind of enlightenment stuff that we still have today, Edwards is the guy to read. Interesting. Uh, Do you think maybe he Christianized it because it's Christian? Like you have. Yeah,
1: right. because God God is the creator of the world. So it's already Christian. We didn't Christianize it. We just discovered what God had made. Yeah, right. Reason. Yeah. And do you think that that point you just brought up, how how he was able to just kind of intake all sorts of um, learning from different disciplines and kind of research and ruminate over them? Do you think maybe that was that's one reason why he's still kind of well known, even in the secular world?
2: That's a really good point. Uh, You can. Yeah, that sounds, you know, very logical because you know uh, especially nowadays you know you have you have all the big subjects politics you know church religion Mm -hmm. uh, psychology they're all separate entities yep that's not true no because religion permeates like everything like like, for instance you can't separate church and state because the second that you know for instance murder is wrong murder is a religious teaching (laughs) you can't can't separate it Um, exactly
0: right well actually that's why i mean if you listen to enough like uh just people who speak on this it is so true that the most fundamental questions of life and morality really are inherently religious questions Mm -hmm. you know so that that is a very true thing you said and our
1: founding fathers actually most people don't know this but they this is a fact that they that they Really understood very well to the point that the clause the phrase separation of church and state is nowhere to be found in any of the founders' documents. It actually comes from a court case that happened in the uh, the 50s in the Supreme Court, where it was Lemon v. Um,
0: I know which one uh, you're talking about. It
1: was Lemon v. like Penn University or something, where there was like a Bible study meeting um, in a in a secular state-run school, and at that point, that's when the judges were like. Oh, we need to have separation of church and state. But before that, it's a non-existent idea.
2: That makes sense. I've school. done a lot of research on uh, the First Amendment in 20th century, and that's you know it was the 20th century that gave so much tension to church and state. Yep. That's a different subject, Aaron. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I might, I might, I might ask you more about that. Okay. <laughs>
0: uh, well, uh, to, to to wrap up, is there anything uh, anything you think we should know before we end this? Anything, any writings of his that you think a Christian should really just get their hands on, or anybody?
2: Um, Let's, uh, his eschatology and his pneumatology. Okay. And so that was, that's, those are probably the two most, I would say, prominent and in greatest interests that he had. Uh, so for instance, when he's studying, you know, these natural philosophy and science, he's thinking about how God's going to bring forth the millennium. Mm, That's that's his thinking through it. Um, and how he does it is he brings it through by outpourings of his spirit. So that's what he preaches. And so that's his, and, and that was, that was like the central, you know, message is that he, in the great awakening, he was thinking about bringing forth the millennium um and making that happen he wanted every so you know he, he's very anti-catholic he hates it he, he believes the pope's the antichrist and the papacy. wow That's so true. he wanted that gone because scripture says the beast will be conquered before the millennium happens hmm. and and so how he's going to do that is that he's going to god's going to pour out his spirit in a mighty way and that and you know when he's preaching his scriptures when he's writing his work, he's thinking about the end. Okay. Um, and that, you know, that's and that now that when you add that eschatological like kind of um background to your mind in your and it really shapes your whole form of thinking. Like oh, yeah. because we think eschatology is just a it's like a it's like a it's like a dessert to an entree. You don't have to have it. But it's kind of nice if you, it's sweet, but it's not very beneficial. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it it seems like for him, it really informed his personal, spiritual, and intellectual life.
2: Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. That was the very, that was, his eschatology was the main entree. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And so he took, you know, he, Revelation was the only commentary he ever wrote. Uh, He wrote an extensive amount about, he, for it, well, go back it took him 30, he studied the book of revelation for 35 years. Good he, <laughs> he, he, he took a private notebook on it. He studied oh prophecy, God. all the prophecies in the old Testament. Uh, that was his greatest interest. Uh, mm. And then the working of God's spirit. And then he sees the awakening. He sees, you know, all these people come to Christ. He sees enemies of Christ being vanquished. That's what the millennium is going to be like. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so thinking it's here.
2: Yeah. And so it's, that's, uh, that permeated, s- his his thinking and so if you don't so when you're reading a lot edwards that is so crucial it's you're the full understanding of of his saying he has that uh you need to understand his eschatology and his neumatology yeah
1: interesting
2: and uh you know that's so um Yeah, that's those were working. Those uh, his commentary on Revelations like a hundred dollars actually. Oh wow! Okay. It's uh published by Yale. It's it's apocalyptic writings. I think it's like you know Yale version. Yeah. It's uh volume five in the Yale collection. That's his apocalyptic writings. That's expensive. Um. Mainly because nobody believes in that anymore. Right. Uh, and then his, his stuff from the spirit, you know, you have marks of a distinguishing work of grace. You have the, and you have, uh, the great, his writings on the great awakening, religious affections, his narrative, uh, okay. a surprising work of God. Those are some sure. real understanding of mythology, but the, be, what, the his best one that you have to read is the history of redemption. So he, mm-hmm. covers, sure, that. he goes from Genesis to 1740. <laughs> what that's bizarre and he talks about everything that god did to m- promote the gospel in the world wow, <laughs> wow. That, that makes me incredible. want to read that, that is yeah. his magnum opus is that the right latin term or is that opus yeah man? no okay. it's, magnum it's magnum opus, magnum opus. yeah wow, that is amazing. that's what he wanted to when he was at princeton that's what he studied that is that is his prized possession sure uh, so he did a sermon series on it too in like 1730 so you know this dude was thinking about this his whole life
0: yeah wow. what, what a titan of a figure and so much to remember. And it's just so encouraging that God has given us saints to come before us who just led great lives, lives of example. Uh, just real quick, um, give me a few reasons we should read Edwards today or just or, or study his life.
2: I would say, you know, so, well, um, i give a few points for why he, his way of studying uh, his understanding of science mm-hmm. and, uh, and philosophy natural science you know from spiders uh to That's like bizarre bacteria. i can't believe yeah. that you know he uh he he studied it because he knew it was god's world um mm. be in that now you're you're not studying it to find god you're studying it cuz you know it's god's world right yeah uh, you're com- you're coming at a different approach That's a and
0: great you know, way to put it john
2: yeah so that was in I would say because of the whole, you know, how we make distinctions in the sciences with, you know, philosophy, science, psychology and whatnot, and how they're all separate. He brings them all together. And so that will really help the mind because that's where we're in. We we live and breathe that. We think it's separate. You know, we have psychological problems. We don't have spiritual problems. We have Mm -hmm. scientific problems, but it's not a theology problem, which, it, you know, it's all theology sure right. exactly. Uh, you
1: can't compartmentalize it because yeah. it's how God created the world.
2: Yeah. So that's Edwards is very helpful, you know, in bringing all that together. I would even pay very careful attention to his disciplinary methods. Okay. And the way, you know, you don't gotta be crazy to figure out what you wanna eat. And so, <laughs> um just because it helps, because the way he studied, like, he gave, like, for instance he was able to look at the text and teach the text so clearly because he focused so diligently on it. So for example, like he gave a sermon on, you know, when the text where Jesus tells Peter at, hey, you know, Peter, you did not find this out by flesh and blood, but because my father and heaven showed you.
0: Yeah. I know it. Yes. Yeah. So,
2: right. yeah. So he, so for instance, all this is, this is his, this is the, so the doctrine that he wanted his church to know is this, is that, You know, there is such a thing as a spiritual and divine light that is immediately imparted to the soul by God of Mm -hmm. any that is obtained and is not obtained by natural means. So that's what he taught. That's right out of the text. It's so clear cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And then the points that he had is that he says, I'm going to define this light. I'm going to show you how God gives this light. And I'm going to show you how it's not obtained by natural means. And then I'm going to approve this doctrine um, to anybody that's a critic of it. So that was a sermon. And so it's just so systematically drawn where you can just like in one stream of water, get the whole text. And um, his thinking was so systematic, methodical. And that's what he was able to produce. And think about it. If you're a teacher, a preacher. You want to teach like that because anybody is reading that. That text. Wow. This is I'm getting, you know, my mind's not going off to all these tangents. Mm-hmm. are all these kind of different links that are not relevant just one stream of water straight from the text yeah. um and That's we've done exquisite. so systematically yeah talk about yeah. dividing the word of truth
1: wow
0: yeah well we're gonna have to wrap this up john but we have really enjoyed learning more about edwards i'm encouraged i know aaron's encouraged yeah
1: i want to read that book now his magnum opus
0: i want to spend time and read with him and his books and what he's read um so we just really appreciate this man and we're grateful for uh, your input and all this
2: No problemo.
0: All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. See ya.